True Multifamily is an On Air Brands production and a proud member of the On Air Brands Network. This is True Multifamily, the show where we dive in on what really happens after closing a multifamily property. We're going to expose the role of asset manager. That's a person who has a responsibility of seeing the vision, executing the plan, and managing people, budgets, and timelines, all to deliver returns for our investors. These are the real struggles, the real victories, and the real stories of asset management. Welcome back to another episode. This is part two of our two-part series with Jonathan Bombacci. Jonathan, thank you for coming back. Welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me back. Listen, we had a great episode last week where you really got into that first time purchase, the home buying purchase of your triplex and uh, some of the trials and tribulations there. Really good stuff. If you missed it, go back and listen because it really shows the whole story of Jonathan getting out of school and being a finance major and having no knowledge of, of finance as we know it in real estate and uh, and learning a lot of lessons along the way. And thanks to grandma for, for that as well. So we, <laughs> we love that grandma pointing you in the right direction. Um, but this is part two. We want to talk about going from that triplex and scaling up to a really incredible deal that you were just telling me about that happened this year in 2020. So why don't you bridge the gap a little bit from that triplex to getting this deal under contract, and then we're going to dive in and talk about this this project. Sure, sure. So, um, so you know, I, I did the I did a house hack in Connecticut. Um, we then moved up to Massachusetts, and I couldn't go from you know not living, you know, not paying rent to paying 100% of the mortgage. So we bought a two family, um, and that subsidized some of our our income, which was nice. Um, I spent three hours on the bus one day trying to get to work in Boston, and I said Oof. never, never freaking again. Oh um, and I was, I was an asset manager. I was doing merger and acquisitions. I was, I was doing a lot of high finance in Boston for very large companies. Um, and it was just one of those things where I sat down and looked at my financials and said, well, I could, I could be doing this for the next 30 years and packing away a good amount of my 401k or, you know, there's gotta be a better way. And that's when I kind of, you know, looked back on real estate where up until that point, it was all meant to be just to kind of give us a little bit of a leg up. I then got really intentional about it. I got my real estate license. I started working with a couple of clients and realized very quickly, a lot of real estate agents don't understand multifamilies at all. And just owning those five units put me way ahead of the, of the average. Um, and that gave me the confidence. Um, we went out and bought 24 units in 18 months in Northern New Hampshire. And that was enough right. to put us into a lean financial independence number. And I, I, I quit my corporate job the same day we closed on the 12 units. Yeah. All right. Uh, then, so when you say, I, let me just interrupt real quick. When you say we, who are you, who are you speaking about? My, my wife and I. So we, okay. we, up until that point, you know, all, all 20, you know, at that point, all 29 properties were just in our names. We hadn't partnered with anybody. We hadn't done anything. We were just doing it on our own. My wife decided to, you know, she was going to keep working, which, which gave me the ability to, to go into real estate full time. It wasn't the intention when I started, but, you know, getting my license, realizing that there was this gap in the marketplace with agents that don't know multifamilies and then buying the 24 myself, I really found my passion. Mm-hmm. And we very quickly, you know, realized that this is what we wanted to do. I opened up, you know, a small, a small office, um, you know, office where we didn't really have any space. A couple of agents who were, who were struggling with the residential side came over. Right now we've got, you know, eight um, dedicated agents who are, who are focused on investors and two admins. And we, we've grown pretty quickly over the last year um, because I, I did all that. I quit my, my corporate job last July, July 2019. Right. So it's only been like 18 months. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's great. So so now you've got the, the, the realtor business is really focused for investors? Mm-hmm. That's great. 
I call us residential friendly. Mm-hmm. So we'll do single families, we'll do condos, like, like mm-hmm. why not? But our, our focus is the multifamilies, the two to 20 units is kind of our bread and butter. Everybody on the team is either an investor, they either own a multifamily or are in the process of buying a multifamily. I'm a big stickler for eat what you preach. Like you're not going to go out and tell someone to buy a multifamily and then they turn around and be like, would you buy this? And you're like, would I ever buy a property? No. So everyone on the <laughs> right. team is, they, they want to be, they want to be investors or they are investors. And, and that's one of the things that we, we hold important. It's so important as someone that might be newer to the game, looking for a rental property to, to call you and your team, because you understand the numbers, you understand how it works. You know, I've spoken to many realtors and, and they just don't get it and they don't understand how the numbers work or what a good deal is or not. And uh, so that's, that's awesome too, that you've built a, that niche there and uh, that uh, just kudos to that. That's great. So you're building, you've left your job, you're building this, this brokerage business, um, and then comes along this, uh, this portfolio this year, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, it was, it was eight properties, um, in central Massachusetts in Lemonster and Fitchburg. Um, they were, they listed it at 1.85. Um, it was a very difficult deal to find, uh, right, right on the MLS. So, uh, it was, it was, hold on, out there. hold on there. <laughs> hold on. Uh, I thought there were no deals on the MLS. Wait, when this was, this was like 20 years ago, you found this on the MLS, right? When, no, this was, this was in February. So February of 2020, you found a 23 unit property portfolio, uh, on the MLS in yep. Massachusetts. Yep. And we, and we bought it and, uh, and, you and bought it, it. it made sense. <laughs> um, and it, it awesome. was, and it was kind of funny. So, you know, it was, it was on MLS. A lot of people showed up, you know, they, they were doing a, they were going to tour all eight properties, all 23 units over the course of a day. So a very long day. Um, we showed up at the first property. There were probably 40 groups there. The second property, we were probably down to 20. By the end of all eight, there was six groups left. And the, the reason being is the, the, the portfolio was a dog. When you looked at the cash flow, when you looked at the net operating income, when you looked at those things, it was, it was, it was a dog. But what we realized is they were selling these eight multifamily properties from two to four units as based off of the income approach, based off of how much money it made multiplied by a cap rate. But when we broke them all up and treated them as eight separate residential properties, there was a a big gap in the appraised value. And and the the example I give there is they were selling a two family in Lemonster, you know, and it it brought in $1,600 a month and we sold it for $315,000. And obviously when they did the income approach and they were basing it off of the $1,600 a month, that created a value of the property that was less than $200,000. Right, 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 right. But the multifamily across the street sold for 300. And so we felt very good about switching that from the income approach to the, what did the multifamily next door sell for? Okay, so let's talk about that first day you're walking these properties. You know, there's 40 people that show up. I mean, what's going through your head with 40 groups that are standing there with you to look at this property that's on the MLS? You know, how do you just mentally get wrap your head around the level of competition, the price is going to be high, and see as you're walking this, you're realizing none of this is going to cash flow. Like, talk us through the, the mental process there. Yeah, so I mean, you know, you know, a lot of people showed up, so they're like, oh crap, like this is going to be a great deal. Um, and then we started walking them and the units were tired and, you know, we, we knew when we were going into it that we were looking for a serious value add. Um, the, the units were tired because they were lived in, but the property was professionally managed for 10 years. And so even though they weren't updated, there wasn't no granite, no, no anything like that, they were well-maintained. 
and we we go in multifamilies all day every day because that's our business. Mm-hmm. We very quickly recognized that even though these were tired, they were better than average of the normal stuff that comes onto the market. So we felt pretty good about the condition of the property, even though the rents were well below market value. Okay. And then what's the process like uh, as you end the day, there's six guys left. How do you, like, how do you put a price together on, on a property like this? So, um, so, you know, basically what we're doing is every time we went and we saw the properties, we, 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 so, you know, just like everything on, you know, on MLS when it's multifamilies, um, there's $1.8 million, eight properties. There's a total of five photos on MLS. <laughs> of course. Of course. And so basically our it didn't goal tell you was, the whole story. It didn't, didn't tell the whole story. And so our thing was, is we, we were looking at them as, Hey, like we might want to keep some of these properties, but we might want to sell some of these properties. So every time we went into a property, we probably took 30 photos for every property and we pretty much built our own listing package for each property. We broke it all down. We, we, we did individual comps on all eight of them. And then we added up the totals and we found out that there was a big gap. And so, you know, they were listing it for one, one eight. We ended up going in at one eight five fifty thousand dollars over asking, even though, you know, it, you know, other people thought that it was a dog and obviously, you know, going from 40 groups to six groups kind of shows it. Mm-hmm. But when we added up all the comps, we were looking at well over $2 million in terms of the value. So we knew that if we could chop them up and we could resell them at a later date, that we were going to have some embedded equity. So your plan on this from the get-go was not try to value add this property, was not to try to come in and renovate for you know half a million dollars and get a much higher rent rate. It was there. there's a gap between valuing this from the income approach versus if we piece this up and sell it on the MLS. So, so was that your plan from the beginning to to cut it up and, and sell it? I mean, based on the five photos we saw, we didn't know what we were getting into. <laughs> but, you know, by, by the time we walked, so the, the first one, the, the first couple of properties they showed us to were the worst couple in the portfolio, which again, worked to our advantage because it weeded out a lot of the groups. Mm-hmm. When we, get, we got to a four family in Lemons, so we're like, oh, this, this place is awesome. I wonder how much it would be worth. We went and we ran the comps and we saw that there was four families selling for 450. And then we did the math and we're like, we're buying this thing for 850. The 1.8 in this one property out of eight properties could sell for almost a half a million dollars. And that's when we started going back and looking at everything because mm-hmm. we walked one property that was really nice and we knew the value of that property. And because of that, it kind of led us to making the decision of if this one's worth a half a million, the other ones don't need to be worth that much for there to be value here. Mm-hmm. Man, I love it. All right. So uh, hit us with, um, well, actually first, before you, you get to the reveal on the end, let's talk about um, due diligence and inspections. I mean, any anything kind of come up? There, you're talking about a lot of properties here. Um, any big surprises through that, that whole process? Um, not a whole lot. So, I mean, we, we, we got, you know, some, some people in, we, we took a look, we were basically, basically once we figured out what we we're going to do with it, there were, there were certain things we were concerned about in terms of, you know, our buyers. So we wanted to make sure that there was no knob and tube. We wanted to make sure that, that the, the roofs were updated and we wanted to make sure that there weren't any major structural issues. Everything else we were okay with. So we went through and we, we actually brought a contractor through and we did our, our home inspection that way. We didn't hire a formal home inspector because that would have taken, you know, 12 days to do for a property. Yeah. But we were focusing on the big things. Once we knew what we wanted to do, we, we focused on the structure, the roof and the electrical. Because up in Massachusetts, one of the, the problems we always have is the, the old knob and tube that gets stuck around in the multifamily. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we see a lot of that in Jersey as well. 
so really you're looking at these properties. I love that with the end and the end buyer in mind, you're, you're just viewing yourself as a, as an intermediary at this point, knowing you're going to sell them. So how are you going to sell them? You know, we, we can sell them by having no knob and tube, by having good roof and a, and a good structure in place. And, and you know that because you're already tied in the market and, and you know what's selling there. So I, I love that. Um, okay. So how much did you have to put down? Talk us through the financing piece on this. So we, we work with a pretty good credit union. We, we had a couple of properties at this point. Um, and so we, you know, we, we were buying it for 1.85. Um, the bank gave us um, 80% loan to value, um, which based off the purchase price, um, we needed to come up with $370,000 for our down payment. Um, we then factored in um, another $60,000 for repairs. But the cool thing about this is, you know, even with the income approach that they, they had on it, the, the property still cash flowed a little bit every mm. month we held it. Okay. So we didn't have to come up with huge holding costs like you would with a typical fix and flip because there was still income coming in from the rented unit. So we really didn't have to put a whole lot of money into our reserve kitty. We ended up needing to come up with like $440,000 all in to feel good about the property. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. Um, and uh, okay. So did you have to bring on partners or this is something you and your wife were able to take down on your own? So, um, so we, we, we pretty much approached a real estate attorney that we know and we were like, Hey, like, this is what we're thinking of doing. Do you know anyone who would be interested in investing in this? And, you know, he, he asked a lot of questions, you know, he knew a lot of people. We partnered with him on a lot of stuff in terms of like mutual clients and things like that. And at the end of it, he was like, I'll just do it. <laughs> awesome. So I was like, Oh, uh, okay. <laughs> was that sort of your, your game or you were genuinely surprised by that? I was genuinely surprised by it. Okay. And, you know, and I, and again, I went to him because we had a lot of mutual clients. I wanted to see what his thoughts were in terms of who I could bring in. Yeah. And at the end of it, he was just like, I, you know, we've been doing a lot of business together. I'm comfortable with the way you guys run your business. So like, yeah, let's, Great. let's do this. <laughs> okay. So how much did he put in? How much did you put in? Roughly. So if you don't like it. It. You split it. So okay. we, we, we both put in like $220,000 um, and then we, we ran it from there. Um, and you know, for a $2 million portfolio, I mean, that's, that's not that bad. We both had good relationships with the credit union that we use. Um, we got them to, you know, let us finance the closing costs, which were about 50 grand. We rolled in as much as we could into the financing and we ended up coming out of pocket like $220,000 each. All right. So now let's get into, you bought it. What, what do you do next after you close on the property? So, I mean, the, the big thing was we, you know, we, we were, we were getting nervous on it. So this was, we, we put on a contract in February. Everyone knows what happened in March, but at the end of March, we got our appraisal. For those of you listening 10 years from now, cause I know we're going to have a ton of listeners a decade from now. <laughs> March, 2020 was when COVID happened, COVID-19 and uh, pretty much the world stopped in uh, towards the end of March, 2020. And we were like 30 days into our due diligence. We scrambled Oof. to get COVID language into the PNS before yeah. it got signed because mm-hmm. everything was kind of all hit in the fan at that time. Yeah. Um, and that was actually the first draft of our COVID addendum that ended up on our own property, which we then ended up using on all our properties going forward. Um, so end of March rolls around, we're getting a little bit nervous. And then our appraisal comes back. And our appraisal comes back at two million three hundred and fifty six thousand. Two million three hundred and fifty six thousand on a property that you're buying you paid extra fifty K extra for for one point eight five, right? 1.85 and it was right nice. on MLS. Woody Group showed up. So right off the bat, the bank was very happy with their $506,000 of instant equity. It's amazing. Now, were they looking at it the way you were looking at it? I assume they were. We told them to. Got so we, it. we had a good relationship with the bank. It, it, it's a commercial lender. Um, we, we had a good relationship. We said, hey, like, 
the income approach sucks. When you go out there, have a residential appraiser go out and do eight separate residential appraisals. And we'll buy it as a commercial portfolio. Sure. And so we all were on the same page with the way it works. And because of that, they didn't send a commercial appraiser out. They sent a residential appraiser out eight times. And did they know your, your end game and your plans for this property? A little bit. Our goal, we were going to, we were going to keep some of them and we we're going to sell some of them. But what ended up happening is, you know, after we closed on it, we, you know, the same group that we bought it from ended up pushing us a larger portfolio. And so we ended up scrambling to sell all of them off except one. We ended up keeping one of them that we liked um, just so we would have the cash available to rinse into the next portfolio. Got it. Um, but at the end of the day, we sold, we sold seven of them and we kept one of them. Um, and we ended up selling the seven for a 2.589. So almost $2.6 million. So almost $250,000 more than the original appraised value. For just the seven though. For just the seven. We ended up keeping a two family for like basically nothing. Um, but the yeah. seven of them sold for significantly more than the, the appraised value. Now, how does that work with a portfolio loan as you're selling off? You know, do you, now do you still have debt on this property or you paid that debt off? How does that work? We still have debt on that property. Every time we sold one, the bank would reach out and ask, we want to re-amortize the loan. We told them no, because we knew we were still signing stuff. Once we got the last one closed, we asked them to re-amortize the loan. And so now we went from a, a loan of 1.5 million down to a loan of like 160,000. Great. So you kept that and presumably that'll cash flow, and that's a nice, nice deal for you to hold. But all these basically a free property plus an extra what more than half a million dollars in, in profit for you guys to split. Six hundred and eighty-two thousand dollars. And we put four hundred and forty into it. So that's that's a pretty solid return. And that's after paying in. my agent commissions for selling the property. So that's the other side of it is because I'm a real estate agent and the, the attorney I was working for is a real estate attorney, you know, both of our businesses benefited from having an extra eight, eight properties that we were buying and selling. Right, 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 right. Because you're, you're controlling more steps in this process now. Mm-hmm. Um, wow. So any hangups? I mean, you're, you're telling a really rosy story here, but any hangups as far as, you know, inspection issues or, or buyers, you know, pushing you on the negotiation price? Or is it just that, we're actually coming out of COVID here or wherever we are in COVID, but it's still a hot market, at least where I am. So, so what's, what's the residential market like for you to have bought these things in, in March uh, of this year, we're now in October um, and they're all gone. There, there, there are some hangups. There are some, some issues. The, the biggest thing that I was kind of surprised is the repairs we expected to do for like, you know, um, like bad structural columns and bad things like that. The buyers didn't care about it. So what we found was we had $60,000 set aside for repairs we ended up not doing those repairs and we probably ended up crediting buyers back about $20,000 to cover inspection items. Mm-hmm. But almost all the inspection items weren't things that we had flagged to repair. So we kind of learned okay. that just because we found value in, in certain things and we were expecting issues, that's not necessarily what the buyers felt. The other thing that we learned was, you know, we ran into the FHA anti-flipping rule a couple of times. Mm-hmm. Out of the seven properties we sold, six of them went FHA, which is huge. And, you know, in the middle of COVID, we weren't allowed to evict people. So we ended up doing a lot of cash for keys. We ended up getting creative and that type of stuff. It was a lot of work, but it was kind of eye-opening to us as we sold seven properties, six of them went FHA. The, the big multifamily market right now is all FHA. And so what our strategy is, we're fixing up the multifamilies we have right now to make sure they pass FHA. We're getting units vacant to make sure that they'll, they'll qualify. And then can, that can makes you explain, them a lot more marketable. Can you explain that FHA rule for the audience? Yeah. So, so FHA, you know, you can buy, you know, pretty much a, a big property, four units or less with three and a half percent down, but you need to have a vacant unit to owner occupy. 
and it needs to pass FHA standards, which is normally like no peeling, chipping paint, um, railings, like stupid stuff like that. And so basically we were focusing our energies on making them FHA compliant and opening up a unit for someone so that they could own or occupy it. And that's what was driving the demand for our multifamilies. Because like I said, six out of the seven properties we sold all went FHA. And most of the buyers that we work with all start with FHA. I bought my three family in Connecticut with FHA. And so it's just a product we're pretty familiar with. And if we're able to get our multifamilies FHA compliant, you know, probably only 25% of the multifamilies on the marketplace will pass FHA as is. And so that gave us a little bit of an advantage. So smart, start to finish. I mean, I'm, I'm so impressed in uh, how you saw the value literally in the way nobody else was looking at it. Everyone's looking at this from the income-based approach. You're thinking about, you know, splitting these up and, and selling them on the residential side. And I have to think, you have to have been the only one thinking that because otherwise there's so much profit there than, than you know, if someone else was thinking that way, then your margins would have been a lot tighter because you would have had to put in a $2 million offer more, right? So by by thinking differently than everyone else, I mean, kudos to you and, and congratulations on on that. And your last one just sold a few weeks ago, right? Last one sold October 4th. You know, we, we just finished up, but soup to nuts, we started, we closed on the portfolio April 14th and we were out of the last one, October 4th. So literally six months. Six months start to finish, 100 and so, what 20% profit or something like that? I mean, come on, you can't beat it. Um, so how do you do that again? Tell me about that. So, I mean, um, I mean, they, you know, we're looking for more of the portfolios, the same group that sold us that one brought us a second portfolio, 13 properties for 2.7. We bought those, we're taking those down and we're, we're turning those over actually, as we speak, we're hoping to be out of those by April of next year. We think it's going to take a little bit longer with some of the stuff going on in the marketplace, including winter coming up. But, um, but at very similar profit margins. And then um, flipping isn't really our business. We like to buy and hold. And so we've got a, a 12 unit that we're in the process of closing on that's gonna be a buy and hold. And then we have a 132 unit site property that we're working on in Greater Lowell that we're planning to roll most of this money into when it all comes out in, in April. Um, and so we're, we're kinda, you know, we, we had 92 units at one point, um, but it was scattered and, and very difficult to manage. Now we're kind of consolidating those, selling them off, and we're rolling them into a site property of about 132 units, which should be much easier for us to manage. That's great. 132 units. Um, that That's great. How are you going to finance that deal? Is this going to be open this up to, to other investors or or still just with you and your, your partner, your, your lawyer partner? So we, we're taking out a couple other partners, but um, but it's being mostly financed through HUD is kind of the goal. And so if we get it, a, we, we have an appraisal out and the, the way the HUD bridge loan works is it's it's 85% LTV of the appraised value, not the purchase price. Right. So if we can convince the appraiser through, you know, our, you know, what we plan to do for the property, they're, they're evaluating it on an after repair value, not as an as is basis. So if it appraises 20% more than the purchase price, we don't have a down payment. Big things coming there, John, big things coming. That's, that's really exciting. Uh, you know, I love this story. I love how you looked at things differently. I love that you're doing it again with the same seller. I mean, come on. That's amazing. Congratulations to you and your team and your wife and your lawyer who, you know, saw value and jumped on that. I mean, uh, everyone is uh, everyone is doing well. So can you give me a tip for someone that wants to do the same or sort of think about, you know, how to take a, a portfolio and, and split it up? You know, this is not a strategy that we talk about very much. So, so give us some tips to things to keep in mind, maybe some potential hangups that if I want to go 
do this strategy that, that I need to make sure I'm thinking about. So, I mean, I, I guess the, the most important thing is, you know, there, there's no good deals on MLS, but, <laughs> but you can, you can make them. And so a lot of times, yeah. you know, there, there's things on MLS where they, they don't make a lot of sense as is, but if you look at them at a different approach, um, we, we, we tend to find soft spots in any market. And I mean, the, the reality is it's real estate agents. It's, it's other people that are pricing them and people, people look at them from one perspective and that's the way they price them. So if you can change the mindset a little bit and find a, a weak spot, you can, you can find good deals, even if everyone else thinks that it, it doesn't work. Um, if you're going to chop them up and sell them, I mean, the, the biggest thing to kind of keep in mind is who your end user is. And then you want to you cater that product to the end user. A lot of people, just like us, we, we went into it thinking these are the repairs that we would want. Um, but now, you know, not doing the repairs and, and letting the end user tell us the repairs that they want saved us $40,000 in repairs. Where instead of us spending 60 grand fixing things that we didn't, that we thought needed to be fixed, we ended up providing $20,000 worth of credits, um, which, which was a big thing. And the only reason why we did it was because we ran out of time. We didn't have people to do the repairs because of COVID. So you would, I mean, that's such a great tip, you know, wait for the buyers to tell you what they want fixed, put it on the market and, and then you fix what you have to fix, but why over improve, right? Why, why go and fix the columns if nobody wants those columns fixed? If no one cares. And so we, yeah. we could have spent a lot more money and still had to give them credit. And that was one thing that we learned early on where, you know, there's there certain things that we think need to be fixed, but the end user may not agree. Absolutely. I mean, uh, you know, and, and that's a huge point is the end user, whether it's a, a tenant or a buyer or um, investor, you know, you can make assumptions about what they want in your business, but it, you got to put it out there and, and see how they respond and, and you might be surprised. So great, oh, man, two part episode, such good tips from the very beginning through this Man, I, I've uh, I got to go back and listen because there's so much so much great <laughs> stuff. I was taking notes, uh, but John, thank you so much for coming on the show. Um, our listeners definitely want to get a hold of you. How can they do that? Yep. So um, you, you know, put up put up some stuff on the on, on the show links. Um, we have some social media, Facebook. Our website is candorrealty.com. But honestly, if you just Google me, John Bombacci, I should come up. I'm a, a pretty active real estate agent north of Boston. If I don't come up, if you Google John Bombacci, real estate agent, Massachusetts, I'll, I'll owe you a copy. You we, 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 we try to make sure that we're, we're on that first page of Google and I, I have a pretty unique last name. <laughs> smart, smart. Well, if you want to connect with John, do what he just said or visit our website, truemultifamily.show. All his links will be up on the show notes there. Um, John, thanks so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. If you, the listener, appreciate it, please give us a great rating and review on whatever podcast platform you listen on, and we will see you next time. Thanks, John. Thanks, Justin. Thanks for listening to another episode. Check out our website at truemultifamily.show. And if you have an amazing story to tell, share it on our Facebook community, and you might just be the next guest on the show. We're also on all other social networks. Just search True Multifamily. I'm really, really proud to have this show produced by our company, On Air Brands. Check us out at onairbrands.com. We also have an incredible, unique podcasting event that we would love for you to be a part of. Check that out at podmax.co.